Today, we'll delve into the mysterious death of Jamie Penich, an exchange student in South Korea, dating back to early 2001. As time has passed, this case has gradually faded from the spotlight, leaving many questions unanswered. Jamie's experience as an exchange student in South Korea was meant to be an enriching journey. At Kemyong University in Daegu, not far from Seoul, Jamie joined students from across the globe, all there to embrace a new educational and cultural experience. But Jamie's story took an unexpected and tragic turn, transforming her adventure into a chilling mystery that remains unsolved to this day. So let's get started with today's case, the mysterious death of Jamie Penich. Jamie, who lived in a small town in Pennsylvania, had been interested in other countries and cultures from a young age. Despite a busy schedule, double majoring in anthropology and religious studies at college, and working part-time, she managed to save enough for a trip to South Korea. In March 2001, she started attending spring semester lectures at Kemyong University in Daegu. At Kemyong University, there were 19 foreign exchange students who became very close, sharing the same dormitory and classes. Back in the spring of 2001, on March 17th, it was time for holidays and celebrations with St. Patrick's Day approaching. It was the perfect excuse for a fun weekend. So 19-year-old Kenzie Norris Elizabeth Snyder, 20-year-old Jamie Lynn Penich, and five other students, a Finnish couple and two Dutch students and a Russian student, decided to head to Seoul. Just like any other tourists would do, they visited Namsan, Namdaemun Market, Itaewon, and the Folk Village. On Saturday evening, to celebrate St. Patrick's Day, Kenzie suggested they go to a bar in Itaewon, Seoul. It's important to know a bit about Itaewon to understand the case better. Itaewon is famous for its diverse food scene and nightlife, attracting lots of visitors. Also in the early 2000s, there was a U.S. military base nearby Yongsan, and the military personnel often visited Itaewon for entertainment. But back in the days, there was a bit of a cultural clash. Sometimes locals, both young and old, viewed foreigners with a bit of suspicion, as if they were very different or even disruptive. So this neighborhood was deemed dangerous to many locals. This sentiment was quite strong back then. Because so many foreigners hung out in Itaewon, some in the Korean community started to see it as a less desirable part of Seoul. In Itaewon at that time, it wasn't unusual to see street fights or drunk people passed out on the streets. It was pretty common. But anyways, the group was really enjoying themselves, hopping from bar to bar and having a great time. It was all about having fun, drinking, flirting, and laughing with strangers they met in bars. They even ended up mingling with some military guys, fitting right in with the lively atmosphere. There were chats and a few kisses here and there. Kenzie remembered Jamie kissing one of the soldiers they met. 
Jamie and Kenzie were out a little longer than the other friends who decided to leave because they were too tired. Eventually, as it got really late, somewhere between 1 and 4 a.m., they decided it was time to head back. The girls were tired, but it seemed the military guys weren't ready to call it a night. One guy persistently asked her to stay overnight with him, and Jamie was also invited to stay out longer, but they were all too tired and turned down these offers. They looked for a cheap motel to crash for the night and chose Kumsung Motel. The motel was nothing fancy, small rooms, thin walls, and an old building, but it was what they could afford at the time. Now, let's delve into the events that unfolded leading up to this tragic incident. Kenzie's account provides key details. According to Kenzie, who was with Jamie until the last moments, they returned to their lodging around 3.15 a.m. She remembered going to room 103 to check on Jamie. Jamie was sharing that room with a Dutch girl, Anna. When Kenzie arrived, Anna was already asleep. Jamie mentioned to Kenzie that she wanted to take a quick shower before bed and asked to keep things quiet so as not to wake Anna. After making sure Jamie was okay, Kenzie returned to her own room, number 102. But something didn't feel right to her. Just before settling down to sleep, she felt compelled to check on Jamie again. She quietly opened the door of room 103, which was unlocked. Inside, she could hear the shower running. Assuming Jamie was in the shower, Kenzie left and went back to her room to sleep. The next morning, Anna woke up around 8 a.m., groggy from all the drinking the night before. It was unclear whether their plan was to return to Daegu that day or stay longer in Seoul, but those plans were suddenly irrelevant. Anna woke up to a shocking sight. She found a woman lying on the floor, her face covered with a jacket. Upon removing the jacket, she discovered the woman was brutally beaten and covered in blood. In a state of panic, Anna screamed and ran to her friends' rooms. When the police arrived, the remaining six students couldn't initially identify the severely disfigured face as Jamie's. But they told the police that if there was a tattoo reading United States on the back of the body, it would confirm the victim was Jamie. Sure enough, that tattoo was found on the body. The crime scene was incredibly gruesome. According to the autopsy report, the victim, identified as Jamie, had suffered severe blunt force trauma to her face and torso. Her jaw was broken and her chest was compressed. A footprint was found on her left shoulder and her face had been so severely beaten or stomped on that she was almost unrecognizable. This raised a perplexing question. The brutality of the attack suggested significant force and noise, yet it seemed no one heard anything. Witnesses claimed that they hadn't heard any loud, repetitive thumping sounds that night. Jamie's family, especially her mother, Patricia Penich, was desperate for answers. They couldn't believe that such a violent incident hadn't awakened Anna or alerted the others. Some of the girls even mentioned hearing a struggle that night, but no one checked. 
Anna, who shared the room with a victim, claimed she didn't know anything until she woke up in the morning. When asked how she could have slept through such an incident, she explained that she's a heavy sleeper, and on that particular night, she had drunk a lot, which made her sleep even deeper. The front desk lady, the motel manager's wife, reported not hearing any signs of a struggle that night, neither the sound of an attack nor a woman's scream. But interestingly, she did recall seeing a white man leaving the motel with blood on his pants. But she didn't think much of it, assuming it might have been from an injury or a fight earlier in the evening. Her testimony led to the creation of a composite sketch. Additionally, another guest reported seeing an American man walking back and forth near the door of room 103 around 3:30 a.m. Kenzie Snyder cooperated fully with the police investigation. One critical piece of evidence was a size 9 Walker boot print found on the body and at the scene. Walker boots, common among military personnel, led the investigation towards the soldiers they met the previous night. Among the students, the Finnish girl who stayed in the room right next to the crime scene couldn't sleep until 4 a.m. She reported hearing an angry American man's voice saying, "But you are here now," followed by moaning sounds, someone saying, "Let's go," and then the sound of at least two people's footsteps and a woman's moans. She woke up her boyfriend, but he dismissed the noises as coming from another room and told her to go back to sleep, and she was too scared to go outside alone. Based on the witness testimonies, the police suspected American military involvement and requested the cooperation of the U.S. Army Criminal Investigation Command (CID) for a joint investigation. Kenzie's account as the last person with Jamie led to the investigation of several U.S. soldiers they had met at the bar: Josh, Nixon, Vince, Michael, and Kay. But all of them had alibis. Kenzie testified that Jamie had given Josh their motel's phone number, and that they had encountered Vince and his friends on the street while returning to their lodging, even waving at them. Among these five soldiers, four were wearing boots. With the witness statements, the police and CID initially suspected two American soldiers, but the ongoing investigation eventually cleared the five suspects of any wrongdoing. There were significant issues with how the investigation was conducted. Before forensic teams could examine the scene, the motel staff had already cleaned up the room. This premature cleaning potentially destroyed crucial evidence. The Korean police who responded to the crime scene failed to preserve evidence properly, resulting in the loss of numerous pieces of evidence. In a striking oversight, the detectives didn't bring a camera and had to borrow one to photograph the scene. Moreover, despite finding bloody footprints that could belong to the perpetrator, they did not send the student's shoes for analysis at the National Forensic Service. Additionally, although there were no signs of sexual assault on the victim, semen was found on her clothes. However, the semen testing methods used by Korea's National Forensic Service were outdated. CID agent Mark Mansfield took over the investigation of this gruesome case. 
While examining photos and evidence, he found a name tag belonging to Michael Greco in Jamie's wallet. Michael was also an exchange student at Kaemyeong University who had planned to join their weekend trip but didn't go. Could he be the perpetrator seen by the witnesses? Investigators traveled to Taegu with the motel manager's wife, who had witnessed a man in bloodstained pants that night. Although the six exchange students had suspended their classes and left Korea after the incident, Michael remained at school. And the witness was 99% sure that Michael was the man she had seen in bloody trousers that night. And also, Michael Greco failed a police polygraph test, deepening the suspicion against him. But his roommate and the roommate's parents provided an alibi for him, clearing him of suspicion. During a meticulous re-examination of the case, Mark began to suspect 19-year-old Kenzie. He found many inconsistencies in her testimony. According to Kenzie, when she left the room, Jamie was in her bra, and panties next to the bathtub, having taken off her shirt and trousers. But the crime scene photos show Jamie's clothes next to the bathtub, with her panties inside her jeans and bra under the jeans. This suggested she removed her shirt first, then her bra, and finally her panties and jeans together, contradicting Kenzie's statement. Additionally, Kenzie's claim of seeing Vince and his friends from the bar on their way back to the motel was denied by Vince and his friends. The bar owner also stated that the girls left the bar at 2.30 a.m., not 3.15 a.m., as Kenzie claimed. What was Kenzie doing in that missing 45 minutes? Also, police reports indicated that the bathtub and floor were dry when they arrived, suggesting that no one had taken a shower. This strengthened his suspicion that Kenzie was lying. Was Kenzie the killer? Meanwhile, after the incident, Kenzie suspended her classes in Korea and returned to the US. She visited relatives and her brother, and then spent six weeks visiting Anna in the Netherlands. Remember, Anna was Jamie's roommate and the one who found her body. Investigator Mark considered the possibility that the visit could have been for intimidation or collusion. Kenzie was questioned in her hometown by the CID and FBI regarding this case. The investigators pointed out inconsistencies in Kenzie's testimony and told her that they suspected her as the perpetrator. After a long silence, Kenzie left the room, saying she wanted to hire a lawyer. However, she soon returned and began to confess. Kenzie recounted that after staying out late at a bar in Itaewon, they returned to their lodging around 3 a.m. and headed to room 103. After ensuring that their roommate Anna was asleep, they went to the bathroom. And after a few minutes of intimacy, Jamie tried to take off Kenzie's pants. This action triggered a traumatic memory for Kenzie, reminiscent of a disturbing incident from her childhood involving her father. In a fit of rage, Kenzie struck Jamie, who fell backwards. Kenzie then dragged Jamie out of the bathroom 
and fueled by anger and perceiving that Jamie was still glaring at her, brutally stomped on her face and neck with her boots. Shocked by her actions, Kenzie covered Jamie's bloodied face with a jacket and returned to her room to sleep. She had two conflicting memories, one where she killed Jamie that night and another where she did not and simply went back to her room. Initially unsure which was true, she now confessed that the memory of killing Jamie was in fact the real one. Jamie's family was shocked to hear this. They denied this story strongly, saying it was totally absurd. Jamie couldn't have engaged in any sexual relationship with Kenzie, since Jamie herself had been engaged prior to her arrival in South Korea. She wore the ring there and got buried with the ring as well. After obtaining her confession, the investigators returned to Korea. And 22 days later, in February 2002, the arrest warrant was issued. Kenzie became the first American to be extradited to South Korea to face trial for a crime. But the confession was soon retracted by Kenzie herself. She blamed the constant accusations and pressure from the police for making her confess something she didn't do. But still, Kenzie faced charges of unintentional murder, and if proven guilty, she would spend 15 years of her life behind bars. The trial started after she was brought back to Korea in December 2002 to undergo further investigations. Kenzie had fought for her innocence in court since she came back. She made comments about how her confession was pulled out of her falsely under pressure. Aside from taking Kenzie's words, the Seoul District Court also took a look into the evidence, which also hardly pointed at Kenzie. Despite Kenzie's confession, several pieces of evidence pointed towards the possibility of another perpetrator. Who was the white man the motel manager's wife had seen in bloodstained pants? Was it really Michael Greco? Who was the white man a guest had seen lingering near room 103? And to make matters more complicated, blood of type B male was also found on the doorknob. And again, traces of semen were found on Jamie's body, and a Finnish student in the next room had heard an angry man's voice. Moreover, the interpretation of the photos of the victim's clothes could differ. Contrary to Kenzie's initial statement, Jamie might have redressed quickly upon hearing a knock at the door, and then undressed again, as seen in the photos. The absence of shower traces in the bathtub could be explained by the perpetrator wiping off fingerprints and blood with a rag found near the body. Furthermore, no blood was found on Kenzie's clothes, which were the same ones she wore the night of the crime. There was also no evidence to suggest that either Jamie or Kenzie were lesbians. Kenzie's defense brought in Richard Offshay, an expert on false confessions, as a witness. He pointed out that the interrogation techniques used by the investigators could have led Kenzie to doubt her own memory and make a false confession. On June 19, 2003, the judge rejected her confession and stated that there was no other evidence to conclusively identify her as the perpetrator. Consequently, Kenzie was acquitted and found not guilty. In November 2003, the Seoul High Court reviewed her case, 
And again, the judge declared that her confession was inadmissible. He pointed out that the evidence found at the crime scene indicated that the perpetrator was not her, but another male. Since the matter, Kenzie's side has tried to sue the FBI, and she has also been appearing on talk shows to tell her side of the story. The mystery surrounding Jamie's death continues to be unresolved. Suspicion initially centered on Kenzie, yet the complexity of the case lies in its many unresolved aspects. Attention has also turned to Anna, Jamie's roommate, with some speculating that she may hold undisclosed information. Amid all these uncertainties, there is prevailing hope for a resolution to Jamie's case, seeking to bring both closure and justice for her tragic death. That's all for today, and thanks for watching.